Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. An Erio's original. With anti-Asian hate crimes at record numbers, this season of The Margaret Cho, we're examining the historical crimes that laid the groundwork for this recent onslaught of violence. I talk with Asian comedians, authors, journalists, podcasters, as well as the organizations and people working to stop Asian hate. Welcome to the Margaret Cho Mortal Minority. Today we're talking about the man threatening to shoot people in the San Francisco bakery. And our historical subject is the Rock Springs Massacre. In 1885, a conflict between Chinese and white coal miners in Wyoming led to a bloody massacre and the death of at least 28 Chinese people. We're not really sure, but um, we're gonna talk about it with my guest who is really great, a comedian, a writer. Um, She's got a great, great pandemic comedy show on Comedy Crossing. It's the cutest comedy show of all time. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to her being on the show, Jenny Yang. Thanks, Jenny Yang. Thank you for um, joining us today. And this is like, I mean, how are you feeling? How are you feeling with everything going on? Oh, I'm numb to it now. But at first I was just like so exhausted. Like it takes a lot of energy to stop all Asian hate, Margaret. I mean, because you have to really, it's (laughs) kind of like you have to really be ready to be outraged several times a day. Yeah. For different reasons here and there. I mean, there's just so many times that this is happening. It's like escalating. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like because people were becoming more aware of it, we were hearing more about the things that were happening already. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I yeah. feel like, you know, these little incidents were all happening, but maybe people didn't feel like it was worth sharing, which is so sad mm-hmm. when you think about it, you know, as Asians, we probably were like, mm-hmm. oh, I just got beat up, but no one wants to know about that. You know? like Yeah. <laughs> and it's so weird that... um they don't think it's a hate crime. We don't yeah. think it's a hate crime. Yeah. That's like the first thing that's said. It's like, well, an Asian woman was just stabbed and her dog was stabbed, but it's not a hate crime. And it's like, what? <laughs> what? I mean, I, before you even have a chance to respond, it's like not a hate crime. Like, it's just kind of like <laughs> a weird, but it's not a hate crime. Not a hate, n- 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 
Well, that's the thing, though. Like, sometimes Asians don't want to believe it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the thing. Sometimes Asians, we want to, like, be delusional and not think that it's because we were Asian that something happened to us. It's like a form of self-protection, you know? So, I don't know. So, I'm I'm just trying to uh, pace myself. And um, I just love that you want to dedicate this season to talking about Asian American history and stuff. Well, I've learned so much and you know, we'll get into that, but it's almost like this is the latest chapter in the history of Asian Americans and Asian American hate crime in this country. And every day there's something. And we'll just, there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk to you specifically. In the first part of the show, we usually go into the current crimes, but there was just one that was hit me this last weekend, which was a woman, I think Sunday, Mm -hmm. was walking in Riverside County yeah. She was like a 60-year-old Asian woman who was stabbed to death and her dog was stabbed. I didn't know about that one. And the first thing that law enforcement said is not a hate crime. And it's like, well, well I, I, I'm not really speaking. It's almost like you take, like, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm really like, I didn't even have a chance to absorb the person's killed. And their dog is killed. Uh, like, yeah. what the? Did they catch the person? They caught the person. And I guess it was a um, young woman. And she was like, I think she's like 23. And it seemed that she was um, having some drug issues and some mental problems. And it was her second attack, I think, of the day. Or, or oh my second God. attack in a series of attacks. And the, the second one was a murderer. But murder. But of the dog and that woman. But it, it's like the... Um, just the the idea that this is like a flash in the news thing of like not a hate crime, you know, and this kind of begins that trend with what happened in Atlanta on March 16th, where it was very much like, oh, this is not a hate crime. Yeah. He was having a bad day and it that was because he was having a bad day. It wasn't a hate crime. What an insult. Which sort of started. Yeah. It's so what an insult. sickening. Yeah. And, and it, it's like, do... As Asians, it's hard to cope with it, you Mm -hmm. know, because there's so many different feelings that I have around what to do. But the biggest feeling is fear. Yeah. Because I'm an older Asian American woman. I'm not willing to go outside. Oh, I don't like that you feel that way. I don't like it either. I don't like that it's like a very, I mean, I, uh, it's a very strange time. I don't like having this fear but i also don't know exactly what else to do you know i mean we have to continue living i know i know personally just in southern california during the course of the pandemic two middle-aged white guys in a threatening way stopped in their cars in front of me and flipped me off two separate occasions Like, for no reason. And it's like, they didn't say, oh, fuck you, chink, you got the Kung Flu. You know what I mean? But like, you can just tell like, oh, they stopped that for a reason. That's like, that's why for Asians, sometimes for us to identify what a hate crime is, it feels hard Mm -hmm. because there's no automatic signifier that people necessarily go to to indicate that that's where that's coming from. They just see us and they're like, Mm -hmm. you look foreign. And then they just like, "Ah," and then get mad. And then that's it. That's like that's yeah. like that's like whether getting mad is flipping you off or killing you. I, I don't know. It's just I feel like hate crimes against Asians is just a little different than what most people kind of think of. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just, you just, you it's, know. Yeah. You you just know. You can feel it. You can feel it. But it's also like, it's so, there's such a historical precedent mm-hmm. that um, in American culture, we have denial about. Yes. Because um, when people talk about racism, they're really talking about white on black racism. Yeah. And how that manifests. And of course, this is really in front of everybody's mind with the Derek Chauvin trial and all this stuff, you know, with Black Lives Matter. And this is very important. But at the same time, there are other races that we inhabit. Yeah. That we need to talk about racial yeah. hate crimes against. And so, yeah. you know, racism is really about what America is in a lot of ways. And the denial of it is part of the problem. Yeah. So what we're trying to do with the this podcast is really address all of the different historical contexts of it, along with the modern instances. So this is from NPR, and this is mm-hmm. from uh, this, this past week. San Francisco police on Tuesday arrested a 45-year-old man suspected of threatening and stalking an Asian woman working at a bakery store on at least two occasions. Daryl Hunter was taken into custody without incident, officials said in a statement that called the alleged actions a hate crime. So finally, this is a hate crime. Yeah. He has been booked at a San Francisco County jail on three counts of criminal threats, two counts of burglary, stalking, three hate crime enhancements, and a probation violation. The victim, a 42-year-old Asian woman whose name has not been released, first called police on Sunday when she says Hunter entered the store threatening to shoot Chinese people. So you have to actually exclaim, this is a hate crime. (laughs) This is this is the only reason they were like, okay, yes, fine. This is a hate crime. It's because the perpetrator straight he up said, said, "I hate Chinese people." <laughs> He's going. I'm going to shoot Chinese people. I mean, he had to actually say, "I'm going to shoot Chinese people." Uh, According to her report, it was the third day in a row that Hunter had been in the shop and caused a disruption. But by the time officers responded to the call, the man had fled. Yeah, Hunter allegedly returned early Sunday morning, only this time the victim told police he used a hand gesture to mimic a gun and simulated shooting the occupants of the business before walking out the door. So it's repeated the three days in a row, finally arrested. But it's like, he has to exclaim this is a hate crime. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I, <laughs> is it, I mean, I guess it, it seems like it's obvious when the hate crime's happening. You think, but apparently he had to be like, all right, everyone, in case it's not clear. <laughs> yo, yo, this is a hate crime. I'm going to k- kill Chinese people. Like, it's like, I want to shoot Chinese people. And like, one day, and they came back the next day, and they came back the next day, and then finally charged with a hate crime. Yeah. It took three tries. Yes. You need to, you need to like, make it that clear in order for someone to know that the motivation is racism. It's ridiculous. Also, like that, the whole thing is just weird. Like, if also if you live in San Francisco, you're around Chinese people, so you're gonna like that. That was probably one of the things that uh, freaked me out a lot too. Is that a lot of these things are happening in the Bay Area in San Francisco? Yeah, you know, it's where and I'm people from, think like, oh, and- California or a big city. You know, there shouldn't be any real sort of racism against Asians. That's what people think. Yeah. And um, San Francisco in particular, it's one of the f- uh, foundational cities of Chinese America. 
you know, yeah. Chinese Americans really settled in San Francisco. It's where sort of their, their base was from. Yeah. Um, which we'll get into. But uh, I mean, I just think that it, that it, all of it's troubling. And the fact that it took so long to be like categorized as a hate crime. Yeah. It's just another thing of like, I don't know how how do we say like this is racism this is racism this is racism we have to say it three times you know I feel like even even though it took three times I feel like they caught this sooner than other people would have you know like like the he didn't actually physically follow through with it he made the threat and so they were able to hit him with stalking and harassment but I mean, mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's something to the nature of the kind of anti-Asian racism and assaults that happen that it's really, I feel like there's an element of, of obsession of like mm-hmm. Asians being weirdos or like Asians being foreigners or Asians being, you know, the reason why you are suffering. Like, it's like, it's like we become this thing that people can project their all of their grievances on you know and then that right th- that th- whatever they're obsessing about and so, so when they finally see the foreign face it's like they they feel like they can lash out the, that to me i feel like is the psychological dynamic that happens with a lot of anti-asian stuff yes i i agree i think that it is it's like we're good uh projection like we're pro- all of the fear and anger and just uh, whatever it is that's yeah. negative gets projected onto us as a group as if we're all one person or if we're all out to get one kind of, per- I don't know, yeah. one um, or to blame. Even when um, that guy that was, I guess, the former, he's former CDC director, I'm not sure, but he's the one that said, oh, Wuhan lab was responsible yeah i believe it was the escape of the convert yeah yeah which is like well what does that do that you don't i mean it's it's like well that's not even no evidence true no evidence there's no evidence also that's compounding the problem of people being racist against asians and asian americans in particular and blaming them for the coronavirus when they have no relation to wuhan china in the first place the fact that a scientist is saying this. <laughs> I would put scientist in quotes, Margaret. Quote, unquote, scientist. Yeah. Air quote, scientist. <laughs> I mean, like, what, what What? kind of dumb, like, irresponsible kind of, like, rhetoric or whatever is that? I mean, the, the anti-Asian point of view that that even tries to, it, it, is, it would be beneath comment like it's beneath contempt but you have to it have you have to bring it up because it's just so wrong american politics love to play into these highly charged imagery and and stereotypes of asians for their own benefit you know they Mm -hmm. needed an enemy and they're like big bad strategic chinese empire is the one who orchestrated this pandemic you know, it's as if, as if, you know, like that's really, really, there, there's a lab, like it was like a, like an evil genius lab that did that. It's like they're writing this mm-hmm. weird Hollywood movie for right. Americans to believe in. And it's messed up because it's just part of the typical American pol- political playbook. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's so sickening. And um, the idea that it sets us against the rest of the world as in the same way that the idea of the model minority sets us against the rest of minorities. Yeah. You know, the model minority myth was basically 
created and promoted during the civil rights era in order to show other minorities who are fighting for their rights, oh, well, this is how you are a minority. Like, you don't complain. You just buy into whatever's happening. You try to excel in the society that's already pitted against you. Yeah. That's how you be a minority. But you don't fight for your rights or march. Yeah. Just get straight A's and listen to the man. But yeah. but people forget and that's not helped us. It didn't. Yeah. It, it, what people forget is like during that time. Number one, Asians have always been in history, and I think we'll probably see in this case that we're talking about today, like as like a, a way to try to break apart any solidarity against white supremacy. You know, mm-hmm. Asians were always brought in to like break apart that power and like have have us fight against each other. You know what I mean? And right. And with the model minority stuff, people forget like. Yeah, other than refugees, it was also a part of the American policy to only selectively allow for highly skilled, highly educated Asians from Asia to show up in the States Mm -hmm. for a long time, you Mm -hmm. know? And so, unfortunately, some of the Asians who came over here wanted to buy into that model minority myth and be like, we're the good ones. We do get the straight A's. We do do well, Mm -hmm. you know? So, it's messed up. Yeah. It's so messed up, and um, we're gonna we're gonna get into how messed up. So we're gonna take a short break now, and when we get back, we will talk about the Rock Springs massacre. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, we are back with Jenny Yang. Now, I'm going to tell you about the Rock Springs Massacre. First, I'm going to give you my sources. Yes. Oh, boy, did I have to do a lot of research for this. Um, <laughs> I love I, it, Margaret. I love this. I love that we are are just doing like Margaret Cho, Asian American Studies 101. The prof- professor is in session. The professor is in. <laughs> and oh, I had to oh, I had to watch a lot of YouTube. I had to watch a lot of Wyoming PBS. So that most of it comes from this guy named Dudley. I couldn't catch his last name, but he did say oh, Warsh. The, the, oh. when, when people, he was talking about the laundries. Oh, that's and my about biggest the pet peeve. That's my biggest pet peeve. When people say Washington, when people say Washington instead of Washington, that is my they biggest pet peeve. Yes. Washington. Washington. I'm like, speak well, English. He was, saying it, he was saying it in reference to the people that were washing clothes. He was very good about all of it. Actually, I was really moved by a lot of the things that he said about these communities Aww. but he's the main um i can't remember his last name now after i well, i watched him for like three straight hours on wyoming pbs <laughs> I but he keeps saying war war <laughs> so um i got it from a bunch of things on <laughs> wyoming pbs also the podcast modern west immigrations uh-huh. interrupted 
Also, uh, the podcast um, This Day in History class, uh, speaking of the Rock Springs Massacre. Also, the podcast Today in True Crime. And this all happened in 1885 in not Washington. (laughs) It's Rock Springs, Wyoming. So this is from History.com, this part. On September 2nd, 1885, 150 miners in Rock Springs, Wyoming, attacked their Chinese co-workers, killing 28, wounding 15 others, and driving several hundred more out of town. So Union Pacific coal miners, they were really trying to pretty much get human labor as cheaply as they could. Yeah. And they they were trying to, uh, this is part of the railroad, but it was really mostly coal mining, you know, for the railroad. So coal miners were now, you weren't being paid for the time that you spent. You were being paid for how much coal you're producing. Oh. So it wasn't like about how long it took you to blast into the mountain to get the coal. It was just like how much coal you brought out. So that's how they were paid. At one point after they were blasting into this mountain, the foreman of one of the miners asked the Chinese workers to pull coal out of this one room so it was the last part so it was like this thing of like the, these um other white workers were so furious that these chinese people were here the chinese people the workers were working for lower wages just because they had been um unable to work anywhere else they had come to america specifically for the gold rush and then working on the railroad and then some on this coal mine but the fact is, is that we were the cheapest workers around because we were making more than we would in China. Mm-hmm. Most of the people were from Guangdong. Mm-hmm. Where's your family from? China? From uh, Jiangxi. Jiangxi. It's neighboring. Mm-hmm. It's just north of Guangdong province. Okay. And then Taiwan. Yeah, Guangdong That's is like a, half, half there oh, and half Taiwan. I love mm-hmm. Taiwan. Taiwan is so good. Taiwan's the best. Taiwan has the best any kind of like rice cake. Yes. It's yes. Like the best kind Thank of you. rice cake Thank you. Or like tapioca, starchy, any kind of glutinous. Oh, starch. the best food ever, and and drinks and starch, starches <laughs> and candies and nougats. I love Taiwanese food. I'm actually Chinese. I told you that Wait. I'm Chinese, right? No, I know, Margaret. I know this is weird. So I am Korean, but about ten years ago, I did a DNA test, and they informed me that I'm actually 100 percent Chinese. Shut your face. Isn't that great? So I identify as Korean and Chinese. Margaret! So I don't know where my family is from in China, but I do know that I am 100% 100 Chinese, also related to Lisa Ling. Stop it! (laughs) She also did an ancestry test, and they cross at some point. (gasps) We're not sure where, but we're totally related. My mind is blown right now, Margaret. I know. I'm so into it, and um, <laughs> it's really exciting because I think a lot of times Asian Americans often define ourselves from our nation of origin, yeah. and then we and maybe uh, unconsciously somehow carry over some of the biases and you know things like arguments, wars that we've had mm-hmm. over the years. Yeah, and so now I feel a lot of freedom to identify Good. as Chinese, please, and Korean. I love it. You're welcome to the family. Thank you. I mean, we're all Chinese. I mean, kind of. Thank you for saying that. I mean, I'm not going to say Everybody it. is is Chinese yeah. to some degree. I, I Everybody. I know. But these people in Rock Springs, Wyoming, were very Chinese. There was a Chinatown in Rock Springs, Wyoming, 
where there were uh, several hundred Chinese workers there. So what they would do every year is they would have the Lunar New Year celebration and they would they would rent the dragon from Marysville, California, which the Marysville in, um, I think it's near Sacramento. Okay. There's a big Chinatown there. Yeah. And um, this history is totally lost. There were over 200 Chinatowns in Western towns all around, like Ooh, yeah. frontier towns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Each had a Chinatown. And Marysville would rent their dragon, which was very ornate and beautiful, mm which had been made in Hong Kong mm. and brought over on a ship, they would put it on a train. And so they would schedule their Lunar New Year celebrations to when the dragon would be available. Amazing. It's so When you great. couldn't and afford so, your own. When you couldn't when afford, you couldn't your, own, afford you your own dragon, you just share the dragon. It's you an just Airbnb. Rent it. It's an Airbnb yeah, Air, dragon. Air D&D. <laughs> <laughs> it was an Air D&D. And so the dragon would just go around. And I found this one story so touching. So one day... Um, they rented the dragon, and it, I think they brought it in for a different celebration. It was a different American celebration. Who I don't know exactly what, what holiday it was. So sometimes the Chinatown uh, people would bring the dragon over if they had it there to celebrate any kind of American occasion. Yeah. So on one of these American occasions, a little boy uh, wanted a souvenir from the people that were sort of like operating the dragon and so the dragon um the guy the dragon master or whatever he pulled <laughs> out the eyes of the dragon and gave it to the little boy and the little boy had it in his house until uh he was an old man and died what and the eyes are in a museum somewhere in wyoming isn't that beautiful i thought that was really great yeah and because the, the eyes are significant i used to have chinese dragons in my house i had two what? really gigantic chinese dragons that were like Ones that you would use in a, a celebration, not a Marysville one, not a handmade one, but it was like um, yeah. with the big paper mache head. And I had yes. a, one that was like black and green and the yeah. traditional red one. Yeah. So, but they were not, um, when you, they don't become alive until you put a ballpoint pen in the eyeballs. So when you buy a dragon, I have a small one up in my shelf now. I got rid of the big ones. Oh. They were never alive, but when you buy one, you make it come to life by painting eyes into the eyeballs. And so to remove oh. the eyes is really to remove a very significant part of the dragon. I know, that nice. was a very big gift. It's a really lovely, loving um, gesture towards Americans, really, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think. So the dragon has deep significance. And if you look at these old photos, there's all these old sort of like tintype photos of the Chinese celebrations there and you see the dragon, you can see how ornate it is. It's not in color, yeah. but um, it really, it, it's, it's like, oh, that it's just so, it's so beautiful, yeah. you know, that they would bring it out for like, I don't know, maybe with 4th of July have been a thing? I guess so. Oh. Um, they also had a Joss house, which um, I guess is kind of like, it's where you would have a kind of religious celebrations. You would have like, your uh, relatives, your their death day celebrated. You would go and you would burn incense and mm-hmm. things. So the Joss House every year would change operation. So during the New Year's celebration, the keys of the Joss House would be put into a wooden ball and then a firework would be put under the ball and it would be exploded and the wooden ball would go up into the sky and then come down and the keys from the Joss House would be like land somewhere and the person who grabbed them would be the um 
keeper of the Joss house for that particular lunar year. Wow. So it was like a bridesmaid. Yeah, it's like very bridesmaids, but it's just the, the Joss house keys, which is an, it's important because the Joss house was also where you would have like people coming from China yeah. who were visiting or people who were new to America who mm-hmm. needed a place to stay. So it was like a hotel. It was like a social a cultural center, center. Yeah. a cultural center. There was a lot of suspicion about from white people saying, what are they doing in there? They're doing weird rituals. They're barbaric and yeah. all this stuff. But really, they were just burning incense and hanging out and it was like a hotel yeah i love that it's called a joss house i didn't know they were called those things i just have heard the word joss describing uh joss paper which is like the Mm -hmm. paper money that you burn as a ritual to send money to your ancestors to show that you love them and respect them yes joss paper yeah but i guess there's a joss house there's a joss house actually after uh joan rivers died i went to Hong Kong and I went to I guess it would be a Joss house there and I bought her a paper dog and paper candy and cookies and (laughs) a paper like leash and a bunch of like dog accessories and I burned them in the the pyre the big pyre there uh, so that she could have all those things in in heaven oh Margaret that is like the sweetest thing it was nice and then I also bought Leslie Chung um, who is that very famous canto pop star who uh, committed suicide in the 90s I bought him an iPhone and I drew a tiny grinder (laughs) (laughs) I do a a tiny grinder so I because you could buy iPhones so I I bought him I bought him an iPhone and then I bought him I drew a little tiny grinder so that he could have that app in heaven because it hadn't been invented so that Leslie could have could can have some good hookups up in heaven yeah, you know, you want to you want to be able to hook up with whoever's coming in. You never know. So I <laughs> Margaret, do. Love I honestly house. think that is that is probably the cutest and sweetest. I've never thought about burning things as a tribute to other people. Like when some stuff happens, mm-hmm. like I've only done it for my own ancestors. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if there was like a paper mache fur, I would have burned that for you know oh, for for Joan nice. Rivers. <laughs> nice yeah i mean i think it's like i just love the gesture of doing also the stores where they sell all of the paper objects that you can burn you know to me it's it's a really beautiful thing and it's a it's a really wonderful way to remember people you love and you know it can be your ancestors but it can also be people that you admire i think it it could be for anyone yeah um, certainly you know comedian ancestors is is something that totally that's appropriate i think that's true that that works well. So the um the thing about the Chinese workers in Rock Springs, Wyoming, what, was that they were there, you know, and there were the other the white workers were like threatening them. So they were putting up posters. I think it was called the Knights of I don't know the Knights of Labor. The Knights of I'm Labor. Not sure exactly. Mm-hmm. Knights of Labor. They were putting up posters and saying, "You got to get out of Wyoming, or else there's going to be violence." But you yeah. know, they they had to work, so they were just like, "We're just gonna." We're just going to do this. We're just going to do this. And it, it came up to a head when the foreman asked the Chinese workers to clear out this mine, which was actually just filled with coal after everybody had blasted in. And so um, it was mine number six. And on September 2nd, 1885, about six in the morning, a bunch of kids were throwing rocks at the Chinese workers coming out of mine number six. 
And so mm. and the Chinese workers were just like, we don't want to get rocks thrown at, thrown at us. And, the, you know, somebody told the foreman. The foreman came out. And then all of these other white workers came out. Again, there was a huge, like, riot. And one of the workers, the white workers, grabbed the foreman's pickaxe and just like really threw it and and hit a Chinese worker in the head and just killed him immediately. Oh my God. Okay, this is what they said. The miners working in the Union Pacific coal mine had been struggling to unionize and strike for better working conditions for years. But at every juncture, the powerful railroad company had bested them. Searching for a scapegoat, the angry miners blamed the Chinese. And it just like came up to a head. Like it just came up to a head where, you know, it was just pandemonium. So the Chinese workers were running back to their Chinatown. They were going into their houses. And um, it was so weird because there was like 150 guys and then women who were posted out around and they made like a border. And and, and so they couldn't escape. So the men were setting the houses on fire. And whenever the Chinese people would come out, they would shoot them and kill them. And then the women... Every time they would try to like run past and get, get escape past the you know the guys, the women were shooting and killing them. Oh my the god! Woman, one of the women that were let, was murdering these Chinese people were actually she was actually um, identified, but they don't have her name in any of the records because this is the thing too is that it, they say twenty eight people, but that's only the bodies that they found. Yeah, because that there were so many people that ran out um, trying to escape death that they were running out into um the forest and the and sort of like they were there were people that were very injured who died from their injuries out there there are people that died from hunger and thirst and the elements i mean it's september it's wyoming it's cold i mean it's just like you know they don't know where to go or what to do it's really a horrifying thing and so this is from wyoming history the the mangled and decomposed Chinese miners were out there. Um, the Chinese consulate actually had like had people come and investigate. And yeah. uh, the diplomat, the, the, they reported to the Chinese diplomat in New York that the bodies were being eaten by dogs and hogs. Ugh. And the coal mine, mining company afterwards, they expected the miners, the, the, the Chinese miners to bury the dead, but they, they just, they expected them to bury the dead, put the memories of this abomination behind them and go back to work. There were so many incredible injustices that happened around this particular event. So the surviving Chinese people were like Union Pacific put out like a slow train to take them all to Evanston. They also had another train that said, "Okay, we're going to just take you to San Francisco, a bunch of Chinese workers. Um, But they they tricked them. And when they got in the train to go to San Francisco, it was really the train to go back to Rock Springs, Wyoming. So they were just forced back to go to work and and um, they kind of didn't have any place to go. It was like this this thing of like, I can't even imagine the the fear that you would have. Like you wouldn't want to stay there if you were Chinese. You wouldn't be able to stay there. No, you're being attacked from all sides. Like it just sounds like you're you're you know, the housing, the the shitty housing that you built for yourself or that the Union Mm -hmm. Pacific Railroad built for you was being burned down. All of your friends are getting murdered you want to leave, but then they send you back and yeah. to like go work with murderous white coworkers? No. It's really scary. So um, the way that 
everything happened with the 28 bodies they had found. So the reason um, they uh, were kind of, a lot of people sort of had their mind to go back to China was that they said that if you lived here and died in America, that you would be a ghost because you were not with your homeland. So what they yeah. did with the 28 bodies is they buried them in shallow graves. And then um, when the bodies were decomposed enough, they would scrape off all of the flesh, remaining flesh, and put their bones in urns, and then send those back to China. So those are the 28 people, which I thought was like, oh, well, that's nice. (laughs) You know, you're going to say, I mean, that sounds like freaky, but it's like, oh, that's nice, though. You're going to send your stuff home. Like, you're going to send your bones home. Yeah, where you're buried and how is very important for Chinese people. And I can totally see how that would be so freaky if I was a Chinese person living at that time. Like, oh, no, if I die here, then my spirit will be lost. Because I don't know if you've seen any like old school, especially like 80s Chinese ghost stories. There are these like Mm -hmm. in between Mm -hmm. in between like zombie like people that it's like the way the grudge Mm -hmm. looks, you know, where it's like the hair is in the front and you're wearing a white robe and you like they're like little zombies and they hop or they float you know there's like those kinds you'll just like haunt the earth because you're not your soul is not settled right i don't want to be that no i would want to go back like um in korea my grandfather um is buried in like they they get buried in these weird like mounds they're like little like small hills and then they put a big gravestone there but they don't put the person who died's name they put all of the living uh ancestors names oh so it's really weird because you walk by you see your name on a gravestone and then i was like when i was a little kid i walked by and i asked my mom i was like why is my name on that grave (laughs) she goes oh save time (laughs) (laughs) to save just to save time that's there save time and i was so freaked out But yeah, there's like the burial rituals of Asians are very like, you know, it's scary, you know, that that all of it is scary, you know, the the way that they were here. um, So I'm going to read from Wyoming history again. When a time came to build the transcontinental railroad east from Sacramento over the Sierra Nevada mountains, Chinese workers, though physically small, proved to be reliable, strong and very tough. They had to be. Blasting tunnels through hard rock, cutting ledges for the railroad along cliffs and mountainsides was dangerous. Out of the 12,000 Chinese who built the Central Pacific, about 1,200 died on the job. Mm. And then in 1869, Central Pacific met Union Pacific in Utah. And finally, we had its its promontory passes where uh, and there's a very famous photograph where oh yeah the workers the white workers one of them has a champagne bottle and the other white worker has champagne flutes yeah and they're like toasting but there's no no chinese men in the photo nope and that that's by design oh yeah they just didn't want us in the frame yeah i was like oh they're probably taking the picture because <laughs> we're always taking the, we're always taking a picture you know, but I mean, really, to be excluded, that was the moment when we were cropped out of yep. American history. It's very symbolic. That moment. It's very symbolic. That was, so that's 18, 1869. This is like, so the little bit after that, you know, this, this happened in 1885. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and this this event was really, really covered. It was covered by the New York Times. It was covered by Harper's Weekly then. It was covered by all of these papers, you know, and they had the Chinese consulate come out and China. They all, But they all had slightly different stories. So it's really hard to know exactly who was what. I mean, the white people, mostly immigrants. They were mostly Irish, Scandinavian, English, and Welsh. And, mm-hmm. you know, so they're probably... Also, I mean, definitely struggling, trying to kind of figure out what their place is in America. And since slavery had been abolished, there was this thing of like, okay, well, who's going to be superior? Like, what does it mean to be white? You know, and white pride sort of emerged out of this feel. I mean, white pride always existed underneath it. But even I think the Irish and the Scandinavian and the English and Welsh, I I believe that they weren't even considered white. Like, what is... No. They were fighting with each other. They were mad about Protestants and Catholics still. But then, but that's the thing, though, Margaret. It's like when they... the, the, The trick of American history is how whiteness developed. That's the biggest trick is when when the white people... Back then, they didn't consider themselves white. When white people decided that they could all unite under whiteness and just blame everything else on other groups, that's mm-hmm. when they really that's when they, they really surged to power. Because <laughs> they're like, we don't have to fight right. each other. We kind of look like each other. Let's fight these other people yeah. who don't look as much like us. Let's just fight the other. Let's just fight the other. And it's really, I mean, what's really sad about this incident is that, you know, this is like, to me... This is a very important historical event, yet I had to search so long to even figure out these facts about it. It's not taught in any kind of capacity in school. No. I mean, you don't really have an Asian American historical lesson plan at all. I mean, there's a little bit about Pearl Harbor, I guess. A little bit about Japanese internment. Yeah. But never in a way where you really go in depth. Or tell right. the stories of the people who are a- Asian American. This is very significant. I didn't realize that there were so many Chinatowns. And I didn't realize that there was such a huge like presence of Chinese people in Wyoming. I've never, I don't think I've even been to Wyoming. Have you? I personally have not, no. And I feel like I've been to many of America's states. Yeah. I've pretty yeah. much been to most, most but, but Wyoming, it's like, you know, it's, I don't know. We we gotta go back to Wyoming. I think <laughs> we gotta go back. <laughs> Should we just take over again? Let's just take over. They're gonna freak out. We'll just take over. Um, we'll I don't know. We'll do a comedy show. Yeah. I mean, we'll I feel a, like a wonderful comedy show. I feel like your reaction is so natural and common whenever I talk to people who don't know or haven't heard about certain things of like Asian American history. Like just the a, a few years ago. Something came up where, oh, yeah, I was like having dinner with my family and my brother, who's like older than me, but like didn't take any like ethnic studies or Asian American studies like I did. I mentioned something about how Los Angeles's Union Station, which was the end, one of the endpoints of the Union Pacific Railroad, BT dubs, right. used to be on ancient Indian burial grounds. Beyond that, it also... The current Union Station used to be on an old Chinatown that was like a workers' shanty town of Chinese workers, mm-hmm. and it was—I yes. don't know if you knew this—but there was a big massacre there. Oh, we covered we covered the one um, we covered the one that happened um, in 1871, which is the massacre in Chinatown. So I don't yeah. know if that's the same. Probably one. the same because they wanted to clear the land mm-hmm. for the Union Station, essentially. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. So I remember mentioning this to my brother and he like, we're like eating with chopsticks, whatever. And he like put his chopsticks down. You know, you know, that shit's serious in the middle of dinner yeah. when someone puts down their chopsticks and he was like, what? I've never heard of yeah. this. Why haven't I heard of this? Like you could see his brain freaking out. I was like, yeah, yeah, dude, this is, we're missing this kind of history because we're not like, it hasn't been a requirement. And so now some people have been trying to push ethnic studies in schools and uh, right-wing people are so afraid of that. They're like so mad about it. Yeah, because they're afraid of like confronting the truth of what this country is and, yeah. and who we actually are. And we can't glorify our past anymore because we have to confront all of these things that create problems today that we should have dealt with that back then. Yeah. It's totally like repressed trauma that we have to deal with now. Yeah. As a, as and, a country. And, and we need to put our chopsticks down. That's right, Margaret. And make a stand. You got to be like, what? Yeah. Stop what you're doing. Putting the chopsticks down. <laughs> so that's what we're doing. You know, we do this with talking about it and letting people know, hey, these events happened. And um, we are we're not the model minority. We are the mortal minority. And um, so that's it. <laughs> we are mortal. We're Thank human. Thank you so much. We're, are you we're, we're mortal. We're human. We're putting the chopsticks down. Jenny, I'm so glad that I got to do this with you. This was really wonderful. And I'm so, I'm so um, honored. Where can people find out about you? Where are you doing your shows on? Are you doing like with your, your comedy crossing? Where, yes. What are your handles? Give us all yeah. the intel. Well, you can always find my info at JennyYang.tv and at JennyYangTV, J-E-N-N-Y-Y-A-N-G-TV at Twitter and Instagram. I, you know, right now, I'm still running an online show that's been really fun and popular called Comedy Crossing at Comedy yes. Crossing on Instagram. Margaret's done it. We've raised over $37,000 for Black Lives Matter related causes since June, since you know George Floyd Jr. was murdered. And um, mm -hmm. it's just been a really nice outlet. We have people laughing and it feels kind of like a real room. Um, and you get to like watch a comedy show done inside of a cute Animal Crossing video game inside a fun Zoom. I love it. And, and Jenny is the best bathroom in Animal Crossing. Her whole <laughs> island is really amazing. So I have a gold toilet. Just... I have a gold toilet. Yeah. It flushes. It's really great. It's Gumsan. You know, they called the Gold Mountain, which is America, which was the gold rush. Which yeah. Is the Chinese people from Guangdong called it Gumsan, which is the Gold Mountain, which is now yeah. Jenny Yang's toilet. Jingsan. <laughs> the Gold Mountain is the toilet. Professor and Margaret Cho, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Jenny. Today, we are highlighting Red Canary Song. They are a grassroots organization working to protect Asian and Asian American sex workers' rights. In talking about massage parlors, there's over 9,000 workplaces like these across the country with no political representation or access to labor rights. So this is really, really important. And I, I love this organization. So check out how you can support their mission at redcanarysong.net, and we will link to them in our show notes. To support our show, leave us a review and spread the word. If you want to support our show, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts and spread the word. Reach out to me on Twitter with your thoughts at Margaret Cho or at Instagram at Margaret underscore Cho. The Margaret Cho is produced by the Erios Network.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.